Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to an episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. Do you follow the pack or challenge the status quo? Join Ted as he explores how to succeed by going against conventional wisdom. You'll hear leaders in technology and security tell stories about how they achieve their success by doing things differently. Knowledge is power. Now, more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open-source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the Internet safer together. Learn more at CrowdSec.net. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tech Done Different. As always, I'm your host, and with me here today is my dear friend, Sabrit Kang-Rajiv. She is a researcher, number one best-selling author, and a badass mom. Sabrit, thanks for being on the show. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) We're bending the rules of the explicit lyrics, but it had to be said, because you rock. I literally told him to say it. (laughs) Yeah, most people, when I'm like, how would you like to be introduced? They're like, oh, I'm VP of such and such. You're like, nah, this is, let's just be real. Here's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) So our books came out on the exact same day. So we're book twins. Book twins. Book twins forever. The best kind of twin to be, (laughs) to be completely honest. (laughs) I love it. So I wanted you to come on the show because you wrote this incredible book called Generation Zero. And it's... Well, I'll let you talk about it, but it's essentially about the condition of immigrant families. And I wanted you to come speak to our audience about how we can think about the fact that so much of the population of who works in technology comes from first, second generation immigrant families. And I'm hoping you're able to give us some insights on how can we think about how do we work with peers who come from those families? How do we lead people from those families? If people are from those families, how, how should they be thinking about their own career progression or contribution to their company? And so, so first of all, thank you for coming to provide these amazing insights. So why, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your research and the book and all that good stuff? Well, the first thing is Generation Zero. It's about an immigrant family, South Asian descent. It's about just a different immigration path that people take, you know, to come to America. But before we even go into the first, second generation, you know, terminology, uh, done some research on just what that even means. Sometimes when people get confused, uh, like, am I first generation? Am I second generation? Am I third generation? It really depends. And the statistic and the way the Census Bureau talks about it, it's really, there's no easy answer. So, what I want to say is Generation Zero is about if your family or you, you ever came from somewhere else, you know, welcome. <laughs> you know, you're the kind of people that I want to talk to. But more importantly, you know, especially people in technology, if you think about it, a, a huge proportion of people actually come from outside of the United States um, in different areas. And my book talks about the South Asian experience, but more importantly, like what it means to like come to, to come to America, what the American dream actually means and the interpersonal conflicts you can have, not only from a societal perspective, but also like with your family, with your, you know, community, with your schools, your colleges, trying to figure out who am I and why does my truth actually matter? More importantly, what's the point of all of this? 
And I've seen a lot of, there's a lot of research and I've seen a lot of people talk about their experiences about just regardless of what you majored in, what your ethnicity is, what you think you, you know, whether you're a first generation or generation zero, I love that generation, whatever generation you're at, like what your experiences are, they're not that different. Like something unites you and what unites you is how you feel about your new location of where you reside, but more importantly, like your history, like what makes you you, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So you were compelled to write this book because you saw some people struggling that you knew you could help. So if you were going to, I guess, simplify it down to a few key points, what, what should people be thinking about in terms of those who are struggling with that identity crisis, not crisis, but what you just brought up, this you know, challenge of who are we, how do we fit in all this stuff? What's the advice? So Generation Zero is about immigrating when you're not part of the model minority myth. So there's like a dominant narrative about South Asians that everyone is smart, successful. They know what's what's happening. They come from privilege to some extent. And when you have like a dominant narrative across the board, people silence their voices, pockets of people, because they don't fit that narrative, right? So say, like, for example, I'll talk about myself, my parents were working class, they came here, they weren't doctors or lawyers. And, you know, when I went to school, and, you know, I was in a coding class, or I was, you know, taking an elective here, and they were talking about what their parents were going through, it was very different than the privilege that I had, which was, you know, just working hard for what you have. What I've noticed is that when you don't see yourself somewhere in a dominant narrative, you silence your experiences, and you think something might be off with your own individual upbringing or your own path that you've taken to come to a particular location. And I've seen that time and time again, but more importantly, you'd be surprised just how many people have silenced their experiences because they don't see where they belong, whether that be in the work setting. You know, sometimes it doesn't matter if you all have the same degrees, like we can all be researchers together, but, you know, we bring a unique, you know, ideology, a unique way to see something only that is shaped by my whole experience of what I went to school with, what my upbringing has been like, my culture, that sometimes we eradicate that to fit the norm of the dominant narrative of this is what it means to be the best researcher, but the uniqueness of your voice is what really matters. So that's why I wrote the book, but more importantly, I'm trying to connect with more people, especially in the South Asian diaspora, but more importantly, people that have immigrated over here that there are so many different ways that we've immigrated over here. You know what I mean? There's laws around it. You could be you know, a doctor or lawyer, and there's nothing wrong with that. But also, like, there might be some other conflicts or some other, like, crises that you don't feel comfortable talking about with your other counterparts here in America once you consider yourself first or second generation. It's just this constant feeling of otherness, and that otherness just makes you go, oh, let me not talk about that because I just want to fit in, right? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about this idea of otherness. I, I've heard you use other almost as a verb, like someone in the workplace will other themselves. So in the context of a workplace environment, context of a professional team, what is the problem here and how do we address it? So otherness, it's basically when something seems not nor not normal, but not like the way that you would respond to something where, for example, when I'll just talk about a work problem there, you're trying to com compete at a deadline and your work ethic is that you are basically going to put 24 hours, seven days a week, 360 
five days, no matter what, you're going to accomplish this. And that is your work ethic. So that is something that, you know, you might have seen your mom do, your dad do, you know, people in the community, whatever. And you see, you have a team member that doesn't really like to do that. They are nine to five and they're gone and whatever their effort is, that's their effort. And I've seen people in a team setting other than another individual because they don't val- they don't have the same core principles of uh, tackling a problem the way that they do. And sometimes people look at that in a way where they're like, you know, it's probably because their experience or what they've worked on in the past or their personality or where they come from. But the biggest thing that I've seen is like, especially when you have people that might look like you and you see that, hey, They might be also coming from an immigrant family, but how are they putting in a nine to five? Like they need to also do 24 seven. Like we're trying to make it in the society, right? You don't actually understand them. So you other them. Other becomes a situation where it's, you're not conceptually, you can't understand the psychological understanding way of why they think that way. And it's, it's written in like a lot of research reports this way that people just, it's black and white, like the thin slice. They're like, well, that's another, I don't understand that. So they kind of push to the other side and they try to find reasons for that. But I've seen that happen in work settings all the time where people are othered and they don't realize that there's a lot of different reasons why people might be approaching a deadline differently. You know what I mean? Compared to what you see at the surface level that just might be very obvious, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Okay. So if this condition exists because of all these reasons well outside of the workplace. They, they exist because of all these upbringing issues and issues resulting from living not in your native homeland and so on and so on and so forth. How do we fix it? How do we, or maybe it's not fixable, but like when we see it happening or even if we don't see it happening, what's the remedy? I think the remedy really is, is just to pause when you have a moment of conflict or a thought that scares you. It's really that simple is if we give our ability to just pause and think about why am I having that moment? Why do I have these feelings? Why is this causing me so much frustration? Let's create a hypothetical scenario. Ted and Sabrina are working on something and Sabrina is being delinquent. (laughs) You know, she is just not performing. And Ted's like, what in the world, Sabrina? Why aren't you? (laughs) Why aren't you meeting this deadline? And I want to tell Ted like, hey, Ted, I have 500 things that I'm doing, but also today was not my best day because of everything else that I bring to the table when I come to work. And the funny thing is, is that regardless of where you work, whether you work for yourself, you work wherever, you can't really get rid of everything else that makes you who you are, right? Not only is it a privilege to have such a unique view, but also there's baggage that comes with you regardless of where you go. And sometimes given it's the pandemic still, to some extent, you know, and people have been quarantined and now are not to some extent, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't give their mental health the the space that they need. And they're quick to jump to a decision on what to do instead of pausing. It is critical to pause to understand, is this experience, is this feeling, whether I think Ted sucks and he's pushing me for no reason, and I just don't want to do this project. Ted, I don't like this project. I want to do project B instead. Or is it because, hey, Ted, I might want to do something different with my career. Maybe I don't want to do the job that I'm doing right now. Maybe I want to do something else in the company. And these are certain things that I don't know how to articulate to you yet. It really depends. But pausing and figuring out why is it 
why am I othering it? You know what I mean? Like, why am I sitting here and I'm like, I don't fit in? Why is it? Is it because of the work? Is it because of what I feel? Is it because of many of the things that are happening? And then give it that due diligence of understanding why it's there in the first place. Yeah, that's really fascinating to hear because in, in a sense that advice is universal to all people in all cultures, right? Like when you find yourself in an uncomfortable moment, just pause and analyze like, and recognize maybe you're, you're not your feelings, right? You are, um, you know, you're reacting to the things around you. So you bring up this idea of fitting in. This probably applies to, again, all people in all cultures, but in particular, you've identified that for your tribe that your your speak your book is for these tend to sometimes feel like they don't fit in is that something that is created because of the way that workplace environments are in america today or is it created because of all the you know associated history that comes from immigration or where is that coming from and what should we do about it it's multi-layered so it's all of that and so and a lot more so for example i'll i think the biggest reason is because our cultures are just different. It's like society and the way that it's structured is different. Like for the South Asian countries, the family is a very important connection. When you think about any decisions you want to make, anything you want to do, it's about the family. It's not really about Sabrit, but it's also Sabrit plus 10,000 other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas in America and the Western ideologies are very individual. Like the individual wants to do this. The individual thinks about this. Sabrit's going to get promoted, not Sabrit and 25 other people behind her. You know what I mean? So because of how people view even themselves when they come to a company and they come to a place of work, sometimes they might be at odds in understanding what that means and how they can perform the best of their ability and because people think in South Asian diaspora, think so, so much of a, like a familiar connection that if they are working on team settings, if they are putting in the extra hours because, you know, we are from a, you know, a different quote unquote, you know, we came from somewhere else, they might tend to burn out because they want to just prove to themselves that they're able to do not only everything that their ancestors have ever done, but so much more because they're in the land of the free, right? So there are no breaks. There are work, 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 no matter what. And sometimes it's pause, 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 because you need it. You know what I mean? And it's hard for them to even understand that. Like, I'll give an example of myself. If I go home and I'm like, hey, dad, I'm tired. And my dad's like, what are you talking about? You work an office job. How are you tired? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I'm tired because, you know, I'm driving a truck and that sucks. And it sucks because of ABCD. So the, 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 when you think about it from an employee perspective and the connections that they bring when they go home and the conversations that they have can further their otherness or can make them feel like they belong. But they're anyone, regardless of if you came here yesterday or 500 years ago, everyone is just looking to find their tribe, you know, people that get who you are. It could be something as small as I love Marvel, you know, like I like to nerd out, like <laughs> I'm all about that. That's my tribe. So it's like you'd identify who that tribe is because you just want to fit in regardless of your accomplishments and where you come from as a person. Got it. So let's, let's give some advice to people in leadership positions right now. And specifically, let's speak to people who are in leadership positions who do not come from 
generation zero or one or two, right? And, but they lead people who come from those generations. And what we've just identified is you have these issues about, you know, this otherness problem, fitting in. We just started talking about burning out. We'll probably want to get into that a little bit more. And these are all, in a sense, maybe cultural in a way. What should the leaders who are leading people who are coming to the team with those challenges, what should the leaders be doing? I think the first thing is understanding the individual that is going to come to your team as you just take them for what they show you and what their interests are and what their experiences are. I think sometimes in leadership settings, we assume that this person is going to work a lot or, you know, I know what type of ethic that they're going to have or, um, you know, I know how to communicate to them. I think that's the biggest thing. Sometimes it's not even about what they show you and the work that they can accomplish. It's just like, how do you talk to them? How do you communicate to them when regardless of the English language, we both speak English, right? But I can talk about it in five different ways. Like English might be a universal language, but it's the dialogues. It's how you communicate and your intent and your tone that matter, you know? And at the end of the day, from a leadership perspective, all you want to do is empower your employees, right? To do the best work that they can do and feel like they belong here, regardless of where they come from, regardless of the color of their skin, their credentials, their otherness, you know, anything. They belong here and you need to continuously articulate that to them, but you need to meet them where they're at and their communication style will be different. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Okay. So I, I hear you saying we should adapt our communication style based on the needs of the individuals. And I love this principle that you've just introduced of uh, make everyone feel like they belong. How do we do that? Uh, is it as simple as what you just sort of alluded to, which is tell the person you belong? Or does it, is it more nuanced than that? It's as simple as, this is going to sound cliche. I don't want it to sound a cliche, but here I go. It's about the human connection. That's all it is. Belonging is about the human connection. You don't have to belong to my tribe in order to belong here in the company, to belong in this movie that are watching this Marvel movie with me. I could be sitting next to a complete stranger and be like, did you see what Tony Stark just did? It's a tribe, right? So it's like, the point is, it's like the connection and like how you connect to your employee, how, how you connect to the people around you. Because the at, at the at the end of the day, humanity is the same. We just are looking for connection by saying, do you understand what I'm saying? And the answer might be, no, I don't understand. Can you help me understand? It's being empathetic that, you know, people approach English in a different way. They Even if they don't speak the way that it was taught to you in school, that doesn't mean that they're not competent, that, you know, they're trying to code switch from 10 different languages, trying to articulate, hey, cool, I got that. I'm on it. You know what I mean? So it's just like even in leadership, pause. And how would Sabrit feel? You know, how do, how do I think Sabrit's feeling? She hasn't been performing the best. How can I talk to her about that? Do I come from a place of criticism or do I come from a place of like positive feedback saying, Sabrit, I'm actually worried. What's happening? This is not like you. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really fascinating because I'm, I'm hearing you say, describe a really interesting idea that I, I think a lot of people think of leadership as a appropriate marshalling of resources. And yes, that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to take, you know, the maximum output from the resources of person power and time and money that we have. But what I'm hearing you describe is that, and I don't think you were 
saying it's not those things, but you're saying effective leadership is really how do you connect with a human being, human to human? Because when you can do that, then you can make people feel like they belong and get the best work out of them, keep them happy, all that kind of stuff. Is that a correct summary of what you're saying? Yes. It's making people feel like you belong in the the way that they want to belong. You know what I mean? It's that human connection. And it's understanding that it doesn't matter how someone is communicating to you, but just be empathetic. And, you know, the biggest thing about leadership is like, who has time to pick up the phone and call 10,000 of their employees? Like, how was your day today? It's not about the time. It's more about the interactions that when you do have their presence, their life in front of you, right? Their moment of their time that they'll never get back in front of you. How do you treat them? How do you articulate the competing priorities to them? Is it in a way where you've had a short fuse because you've been in 20 different meetings and you're like, hey, deadline is tomorrow, get on it. Or is it in a way where it's, you know, hey guys, I just got this deadline. We still have to perform. Please let me know if you can make it. If not, you know, let's reassess. It's just how you hold people's attention when you have it and how empathetic you are in that moment is what really true leadership is about. Yeah, that's, that's really beautiful. Uh, one thing that's super cool to see happening in corporate America right now is kindness is having its day. Like people are finally starting to realize that don't be a jerk, be nice. And people who are kind are actually going to go farther. The whole, the proverbial, the nice guy finishes last, that has is starting to be proven to, yeah, that's not, what are we talking about? Kindness is the way to lead. And it sounds like that's what you're talking about, being kind, being present, uh, respecting the time that people are investing, uh, you know, and the effort they're investing in the job. It sounds like that's what you're saying, yeah? 100%. Just be kind, be present and let them know from a human to human that, I know there's a million things that make Sabrit who she is, but I appreciate what you're contributing to my team and to the goal of our company. That's all that matters, you know? Like, why did I choose this job? Why am I here? Why am I working on this project? For what reason? Other than, I guess it's nice to have a salary, but there are other reasons that drive people to perform their best. And always remember that people have a million different lens when they're looking at you. Like you could say, hey, Sabrina, have a good day. And I could hear it as, hey, Sabrina, have a good day, <laughs> depending on your pause factor, right, of that day. So you went through the process of, uh, of writing a book. You invested love and time and energy. The book comes out. It was commercially very successful, hitting number one bestseller. But I'm curious to hear now we're at what, like 15 or 18 months or whatever it is after it's come out. And what for you has, has been some of the more interesting or remarkable impacts the book has made? Like, have you been able to help people? Have you seen it firsthand the way you've been able to help? It's basically blown me away. Um, I wrote my book for a particular person that I thought really needed help, like a very, you know, my tribe. But there have been people that are definitely not around my tribe that have come to me and told me this book made me cry because now I understand Susan from across the street. This book, I saw myself and our backgrounds couldn't be any more different. Like, you know, this person's from Kansas and I am not from Kansas, you know, <laughs> like it's, you know, truly it's the one thing that I've noticed that regardless of everything that's happened, what really still matters to me is seeing how impactful it can be for people that choose to read it 
at their most vulnerable times. It reminds them parts of themselves or someone that they know when they didn't know how to react to them. And that has been, for that simple reason alone, I'm happy I did it. Like, it's just been amazing. <laughs> and here you are being able to evangelize these principles in, in very clear and succinct and actionable ways. And, you know, there's beauty in that for sure. So when we think about going back to the workplace environment and we were, we're starting to talk about burnout for a minute, and that's, that's maybe a universal condition that everybody's suffering with right now. And you, you talked about this idea that rest is actually as important, if not more important than the moments of productivity. And I think uh, some of our athlete friends, like uh, some of our fellow authors, like Lindsay uh, Dareshoop, you know, professional athletes would certainly argue that rest is important too. So tell me about this idea of burnout and how we combat it. Burnout is very, 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 very deadly and it needs to be addressed. And I feel like, especially with people with immigrant backgrounds, um, a little bit of people with immigrant backgrounds, um, sometimes they don't have the terminology to understand mental health um, from their community and where they come from. So saying something like burning out is like, what are you talking about? Burnout, that just means they're not working hard enough. Um, and it's such a toxic environment where instead of caring for your mind, the mind that employs you, you just you know don't give it the due diligence that it needs. And I've seen in a lot of immigrant communities and in a lot of, of communities across the audiences that burnout is on the rise because people are uncomfortable, uncomfortable having those conversations with themselves about saying no. There's been so much in society. There's so much research about say yes to every opportunity, say yes to everything, say yes all the time and yes to change and basically yes. <laughs> and I would like to argue, say no. <laughs> say no. It is, there's great beauty in saying, hey, I'm taxed out. I have too much on my plate and I would like to do these 10 things very effectively. Or one, it doesn't matter. We're all different. We all are capable of doing different things at different paces. But it's because of that, that I think in the immigrant community, sometimes they're more results driven and they're more about the more you do, the better. And the higher you go up uh, in the ranks of uh, your profession or whatever you're doing is, you know, really amazing, but it's at the expense of your mental health because you don't even know how to address it. And I've been saying after my year of yes, which was writing the book, you know, becoming a mom, I had a wonderful year of no. And that no was glorious. I said no to a lot of opportunities and a lot of things because I need to realign not only my mental health, but in order for me not to burn out. Because once you rest, you're able to perform at your highest capability. And that can't be done if you don't say no. You got to say no. Yeah. I personally love this principle and say no all the time to <laughs> maybe irritating people at times. So what about to the person who either feels a cultural pressure like you've just described or feels a professional pressure that they must say yes? Uh, how does that person apply this idea of how can they say no? And here's my biggest thing. It's you need to pause when something is, when someone sometimes asks you something, it might be via email, it might be whatever method of communication it is. You can respond in a way where it's like, hey, let me think about this for some time. I think in our society, it, it you know encourages burnout because it's almost assumed that if you text me, I got to get back to you. If you email me, got to be basically sent back to you right away. If Slack me, whatever. It's okay not to respond, but at the same time, 
when you do respond, say, hey, I actually need some time to think about this. I think sometimes um, the idea of the individual and the work that they do is so divorced that they are not able to understand that it's okay not it's okay to say no. You just have to come up with, you know, possible explanations. It can't be, hey, no, Ted, I'm not doing that project because I want to get drunk tonight. Like right. that makes no damn sense. It's, <laughs> but it's like- Might be true, but- Might be true. Go ahead and get drunk if that's what you need to do. <laughs> but the, the point is, it's like, hey, no, Ted, I can't actually give you an honest answer right now. Can I pause and let you know in the morning? Or can I pause and let you know in two days? Give yourself a time limit to determine when you can make that decision point for yourself so you can be your authentic self and allow your mind to rest analyze and spit it back. I think, especially with, you know, everything that's happening in the internet. I mean, it's just across companies, across fields. It's, you know, being responsive to someone's needs is considered good. It's also, it's considered rude to ignore someone instantly, but it's because of that people are burning out because they're taking on more work or more roles or more responsibilities if they're not actually ready to do so. I love it. Well, as our time comes to a close here, is there any particular idea that I have not asked you about or haven't talked about that we definitely want to make sure that our audience has about the, the many considerations relevant to Generation Zero? Only one that we're all othered, you know, no one really fits anywhere. <laughs> I think sometimes we thin slice ourselves saying, I don't look like so-and-so, or I haven't had this experience of going to prom. So I'm not sure what that means because I couldn't even tell my mom that I was dating a boy. Like I can't tell my mom that I went to prom. Like that's weird, right? Sometimes we are always othering. Don't other yourself, you know, everyone is othering themselves in different ways, regardless of the color of their skin, where they came from, and if they're an immigrant or not. At the end of the day, uh, focus on what the unique things that make you you and why you're here. And th th that should be celebrated. That's the only thing I have to say. I love it. I love it so much. Sabri, you are amazing. Thank you so much for sharing some insight and spending some time with us today. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Awesome. For everybody listening, if you want to learn more about what Sabrit's up to, learn more about the show, or request to appear as a guest yourself, just head over to tedharrington.com backslash podcast, and we'll catch you next time. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tech Done Different Podcast with Ted Harrington. If you learned something new and this conversation made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.